it's funny. I think when you're a startup brand, you really envy the big brands and obviously envy the distribution and all of the things that play up with that. And I think when you're a big brand, you envy the risk taking mm. and the, the kind of speed that a lot of the smaller brands can take. So I take a huge amount of inspiration from um, a lot of the, the kind of smaller smaller brands per se in the space. Well, let's begin then. Hello and welcome back to Attention Seekers, the podcast from Performance Marketing World, where we get to know who's seeking attention in the industry and how they are doing it. I'm Lucy Shelley, Multimedia Editor at PMW and your host for Attention Seekers. And today we welcome the wonderful Adam Wright into the Attention Seeker studio. Adam is Head of Digital at Bayersdorf, leading the digital marketing team for Nivea and Nivea Men across seven countries. His experience spans D2C, CRM, consumer experience and data-driven marketing and has a passion for accelerating fast growth. Hi Adam, thanks for being our attention seeker this week. How are you doing? Thanks Lucy, thank you for having me. Oh, exciting to have you on. But before we begin, uh, I wanted to ask, do you consider yourself an attention seeker? It's a great question to start off with. <laughs> I think probably, um, I, I mean, we're all in marketing, right? So mm. we're, we're all trying in some way to, to seek attention. Um, I think growing up, I definitely was an attention seeker. I think when I was a child growing up, I, I'm 100% my mum would, would have called me an attention seeker. I think as I've grown up I've probably become a lot more introverted and a lot uh, less attention seeking in my personal life um, and probably sought that through my work but um, mm. yeah it, I see that it's a tricky, a tricky one to kick it's off. a weird one I'm a quite an extroverted person but I, I'm also seeing as I get older I'm starting to shy away from it all but I mean Definitely. you've done some fantastic things on stage you spoke at Madfest um, on cost per quality user so that was really interesting but Digital encompasses so many different channels, strategies, formats. And I wanted to ask before we start the podcast about what a day in the life of head of digital at a big brand like Nivea looks like. It must be so varied. Yeah, it's, it is really varied. I mean, I'm I'm very privileged that um, I've got a, f- a fan phenomenal team. I've got, um, you know, a fairly large team and I cover quite a number of different areas. So actually, my my day is never really one and the same we we have um obviously we're part of a huge global a huge global brand there's there's a, a large amount of stakeholders who sit within our headquarters in um in germany so a lot of my time is kind of split between what we do in the uk and the northern european business and, mm-hmm. and what we're doing at a, a european base but um as i say it covers because i cover everything from retail media to d2c to influencer marketing it's it's fairly varied so i can kind of pick and choose what i'm enjoying doing at the moment most of the time which is uh, quite a nice privileged place to be in mm, that is nice and well at the time of recording this episode we are both preparing for our huge <laughs> event this week which is performance marketing unlocked and you yeah. are on the opening panel for the affiliate influencer and partnership stage where we will hopefully answer the question what is the next phase of trusted social marketing and so I wanted to ask as well you know I mean, digital is constantly changing no one can really keep up with it especially us as journalists it's a pretty tough task but what would you say are the biggest what are you most excited for in the year ahead for digital what are the kind of moments that are pinpointed for you in the future that you're looking out for so so I think if we take influencer marketing I think that that's really now um 
really kind of crossing over between the bridge between paid and organic. I think previously influencer marketing was kind of reserved for um, for that, but now we're using influencers in a much smarter way with with kind of smaller influencers, but putting paid um, media behind them and really um, bridging the gap between what is kind of traditional performance marketing and test and learn and your traditional influencer marketing. So, so actually, I think that's there's some really interesting um, kind of bridges to be to be had there. And I think you'll you kind of know from some of my talks at Madfest, I think trying to take a traditional brand and try and bring in some of those experimentation principles and, and kind of a way to um, to learn things faster for us. I think that's that's the stuff that gets me out of bed in the morning. And, and I think, you know, influencer marketing is a great example of an area that's going through a huge like potential to change there. Mm. So, yeah, that's definitely something that is exciting me about the, the coming year. I'm looking forward to hearing the rest of the panel next week or this week even. God, time is confusing <laughs> me already. But let's get to know this week's attention seeker a little bit better and ask our first question, which is what has been getting your attention recently? I love this question. Um, and I think probably, so there's quite a few things that obviously are catching my eye. You know, I follow the, the industry pretty closely, as I'm sure we all do. Um, I think probably the the one that that stood out is I'm loving the resurgence of what I'm I'm going to call old school media channels um, mm-hmm. because I think a couple of years ago if, if we think there was a lot of noise around direct mail for instance and then obviously email had a big resurgence and has kind of come back as being flavor of the month again product sampling um, and I think most recently I've seen a really big interest in um, insert media so the kind of flyers that come with product purchases and um, you know things that you know, traditionally people would kind of throw away and, and see as like, uh, you know, things to kind of chuck away when, when you open a new parcel. But I think they've all probably been used as a bit of a dirty word in a lot of marketing teams over over time. And, and I kind of, I love how channels that would have been written off many times in the past actually make a comeback and are, are rediscovered, particularly from a performance marketing angle. Um, because I think what, what fundamentally changes as we go is, is one, obviously how targeted you can be with them. Um, and obviously how measurable they are, um, but also that the, the products that are kind of used in these subscription boxes or, or the kind of channels have fundamentally changed as well. And there's loads of new players in the industry. Um, so I think it's it's kind of caught my attention massively with um, how we can kind of use that as a, as a brand and obviously how I use that in, in my day to day. But obviously they've, you know, all of, all of the brands, you know, look at the likes of HelloFresh or Glossybox or Cornerstone and all of these subscription boxes. They've got amazing data on their audiences. Um, and I think, you know, being able to partner with people like that and, you know, with a performance marketing hat on, you're reaching audiences that are still shopping for one. Um, but obviously, you know, you can get a huge amount of data and um, kind of interest within that. So obviously that's really interesting in a recession, um, but it's, it's quite a... Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by some of those old channels just just coming back and fun, funnily enough being at the centre, front and centre of people's marketing plans again. It is really interesting to see because it's uh, consumer attitudes to marketing are changing massively, um, mm. especially with, you know, like Gen Z are quite famous to be known to quite hard to market to because they don't like seeing advertising. And that's why things like influencer marketing works really well uh, because, you know, it's someone that they can kind of uh, connect with. Uh, but yeah, it's interesting to see old things come back. Like you said, the insert media, it, it, it is an interesting one. Um, do you have any others that are kind of coming back to resurgence? 
So I think, so I, I kind of cited direct mail. I think that's one that is traditionally very expensive on a CPM basis. And I think as you know, we, we tend to evaluate things very um, objectively. So you look at CPM and you look at how difficult it is to target and actually, um, you know, sometimes direct mail can, can you have fulfilled that obviously it's not right for every brand and there are some some brands that don't um don't can't kind of cater to that but we've with being um with launching a d2c brand last year or launching d2c even for nivea last year we had to relook at the ways that we were traditionally doing things and looking kind of from scratch again which has, has kind of opened my eyes a lot to some of these i guess more traditional channels mm-hmm. and how they can they can play into the mix as well and it's interesting to see the, the more tra- traditional channels be used for performance as well, because I think mm. normally it's the newer digital channels that are more performance based. But let's also find out how much of an attention seeker you are. And can you tell us a time where you have done something completely unnecessary, ridiculous for attention? That's a good question again. I mean, I, I think... So I, I used to be a big attention seeker growing up. I think as I've got older, I've tended to be a lot more introverted. Um, so I'm sure I've done many ludicrous things for attention uh, growing up and in, and in school, but I'm definitely a lot more reserved now. Um, you know, I think I've listened to many of your podcast guests in the past, and I know that um, we definitely play it safe as a brand. I think, mm-hmm. I, you know, I work for a 100-year-old German skincare company, um, so we're probably about as risk-averse as they come when you, uh, <laughs> when you think yeah. about the way that we way that we market um but I think one of the things that we've that's really stuck out for me and that's got us a lot of attention in the last couple of years um is that we took a bunch of um Nivea Sun branded camper vans around the country um for the last couple of summers um including to the Commonwealth Games last year so you know that was basically driving around giving out sun cream samples and ice lollies um to to people all up and down the country um, and I think it's, you know, something that I would definitely class as unnecessary, probably, in the, especially <laughs> in the world of digital media. But um, it's definitely got us a lot of attention um, and obviously served uh, a lot of people from getting sunburn in the process as well, which I would <laughs> definitely class as a, as a win-win. <laughs> That's a win-win. I mean, yeah, when you have a campaign like that or when you mentioned um, Insert Mail earlier, how does that then relate back into digital? So, yeah, something like the Nivea Sunbus, for example, we have... Uh, collection points on site so if you um, spin to win something and then you can enter in as a prize draw um, or we have a lot of kind of connections with QR codes and things Mm -hmm. like that to to digital as well we also obviously do quite a lot of sampling and um, kind of ways around trying to capture um, capture data at at the point then Um, and then obviously we do a huge amount of work with influencers as well so trying to get people down to it and to kind of experience it and try and get a bit Mm -hmm. more buzz around around that as well so everything that we do is um, we do try and connect the dots as as much as possible um, with things like that. And so you said and you said Nivea is a pretty you know risk averse risk averse brand would you say that a lot of very big old brands with large legacies end up being very risk averse, you know, because I, I say like challenger brands, for instance, are often the smaller startup type brands, aren't they? Yeah. And I, it's funny. I think when you're a startup brand, you really envy the big brands and obviously envy the distribution and all of the things that play up with that. And I think when you're a big brand, you envy the risk taking mm. and the, the kind of speed that a lot of the smaller brands can take. So I take a huge amount of inspiration from um, a lot of the the kind of smaller smaller brands per se in the space, um, and I think 
Yeah, I, I mean, we are we are risk averse, and I think a lot of big businesses are. You've got huge brands to protect. If you look at mm. someone like a brand like Nivea, obviously, it's it's a global brand, is in you know sixty plus percent of households. It's it's huge. If you do something crazy with a brand like that, you you risk a, a huge <laughs> amount of damage. Um, so we are by nature quite risk averse with that, and we have very strict guidelines around things that we do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the beauty of the, the kind of team here and some of the partnerships we've built here. So if Nivea Sun and Cancer Research or um, the Liverpool partnership that we've built with Nivea Men, I think both of those allow us um, freedom and flexibility to do things that are um, not more risky, but more like different away from the from the main brand, if that makes sense. Mm. So we find other ways to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting what you say there, though, about, you know, kind of the grass is always greener. Whilst you're a small brand, you're looking at these big ones saying, oh, I wish one day. And then you get over the other side. And you're like, oh, <laughs> we had a bit more fun maybe at a smaller brand, but in a different way. Definitely. And so the main section of this podcast is all about ratings. So we've asked you to bring something that you think is overrated and something that you think is underrated. So let's start with something you think is overrated in the industry and gets too much attention. So I had a long, long think about this one. (laughs) um, And I think I came up with quite a few tactics that I think are probably overhyped. I think ultimately, though, I think the need to to be first i think is overrated so i think the need to feel that you're um you have to be first in a market or first in a channel i think as performance marketers we're we're pretty groomed to thinking that being first to something is like a new marketing channel for instance will give you a competitive advantage but i think that probably i've seen far too many plans or budgets kind of diluted or distracted um, by shiny new channels. Um, I think it's the, you know, everyone should be on TikTok type syndrome that we all kind of suffer with. Um, and I think, you know, if I'm reflecting, you know, just because someone like Nike is is killing it with metaverse wearables, it probably doesn't mean that, you know, a mayonnaise brand should be in there too. I think that's the, and that's the kind of difference that a lot of marketers, um, or performance marketers definitely will, will struggle with. I think obviously this varies by company. And as we you know, we talked about appetite to risk. Mm-hmm. Um, we are definitely on the more risky, risk averse um, side of the spectrum. Um, but I would always obviously advocate properly assessing channels and looking at them before before running it. So obviously looking where the audience is there, whether the channel behaviors are there, can you measure it? Um, so I think that being first can be and it often is quite overrated because I think if you if you hold fire a little bit then um, actually it can uh, it can help you massively. That is interesting I, I, as soon as you said that I instantly thought metaverse is a big one there because I mean you know it's I, I've asked a lot of people so you know what what is what do you think about the metaverse is it a you know case of jump in be there first and most people agree with you and say no because people that are doing it either aren't doing it very well <laughs> or they're just wasting a lot of money in a channel that maybe doesn't really get them the right returns anyway so it's exactly what yeah there isn't really a win in there it doesn't seem like and it's and i mean we're you know, performance marketers are generally groomed to, th- to think about the kind of measurability of something so how do you kind of put this back to an roi or return on ad spend and mm. clearly there isn't one there there at the moment so um, <laughs> that's one. that always kind of shakes me up but it's it's the i think it's the pressure the kind of peer pressure that you feel um to try and, and go and experiment with these channels i think that is a it's a very 
um, difficult dynamic to try and kind of play out. And especially if you've got, um, you know, other fairly sizable budgets, or even if you're under pressure to to make your budgets work hardest, you're going to have people, um, you know, above you or around you, you know, asking you what your strategy is for the metaverse or whatever. So you're Mm -hmm. kind of under pressure to think about it. And I think that um, I'm always probably... I've started to become a lot more kind of cautious and calculated about how we do how we do that and how I kind of split the team's time. And then, I mean, in your role as head of digital, you must your your bosses must be sometimes saying to you without having a proper knowledge of the different channels, saying things oh, like TikTok or the metaverse, saying, Adam, Adam, there's this new great channel. Do they press you think, oh, we need to be there, we need to be in it? How do you kind of convince them and tell them, no, this isn't the right channel for us, we need to keep our spend here rather than trying something new is it a difficult conversation is it easy I think it's it partly depends on who you're talking to for one <laughs> <laughs> but but I would say it's as I've kind of got older and and or more developed I guess in my in my career I think that you know having a point of view on it definitely helps as long as you've got a clear rationale for why you know we shouldn't jump now or um what the yeah, kind of a clear point of view of where your team's going. I think that helps massively with it. I think the other thing that I've, I found helps is a kind of clearly a dictated investment strategy. So like how risk averse are you being with your your channel choices? What's your kind of opportunity for growth within them? And I think that is something that we try and lay out at the the start of, of, of each of the years. But um, that's probably the thing that you can then, um, you know, it's data driven. It's something that you can kind of hang your hat on mm-hmm. um doesn't stop the questions coming in but at least you've got yeah. a kind of nice way to, <laughs> to justify it okay well let's let's hear what you think is underrated and you want to give a bit of a spotlight to and give it a bit more attention than it currently gets so i think probably the first one i, I said it earlier but i think that marketing channels that are considered old-fashioned are, are definitely um are definitely underrated um I think the other one I'd probably say is is Amazon as a channel. I still think I still think personally that that's underrated. Um, I think it's got a huge amount of noise and and media noise around it for all the right reasons. Um, but brands I think still seem to be quite scared of it, and they tend to be a little bit worried about losing their soul when when selling on um, selling on Amazon. And I was reflecting, and I think if I if I was a brand starting out today, I'd I'd probably sell on Amazon first. I think I'd I'd figure what works there. You've already got the eyeballs there for for people, and you've got a captive audience. You've obviously got performance marketing channels and and ways that you know are scalable and and we know work there, and also content. So I think I'd probably use that first to figure out a product market fit, and then use that to scale into D two C or or omni channel. And I think that a lot of people starting out will not want to take that route for for the for the reasons of kind of losing losing control but actually i think it probably is the other way at the moment so i think that's probably an underrated for me just for its ability mm. to experiment to learn quickly and and to be able to then scale back out of it yeah that's yeah really good one actually i mean amazon is one to watch for so many different reasons i mean i think in our news short earlier this year uh, we reported that Amazon advertising, the revenue for Amazon advertising overtook Prime. Mm. For it. I mean, it's just, it's such a massively growing beast. I mean, not everyone likes Bezos, but we've got to give him a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a clap because he's, he's doing something right. That is, that is for sure. Definitely. And, and I think, you know, quite rightly, 
a lot of people were, or a lot of brands were quite were were scared of of you know Amazon taking huge margins from you or not having control of how your brand looks and feels feels there. But Amazon have come a huge way in unlocking the kind of both the advertising side and mm-hmm. making that very self serve, so it's very measurable. You can really clearly see upper funnel to lower funnel how um, what's impacting kind of the end sale, which is performance marketers is the holy grail of of kind of what we're trying to do, right? Um, but also you have a lot more freedom now over the content that you can display on there and um, and test that. So yeah, I think it's a it's a bit of a holy grail for me now to um, to kind of test and and, and figure it out there first. Um, so yeah, I, I still think it's quite underrated at the moment, even I'm sure there'll be many of the audience will disagree. So that's interesting that you say that. So you use it like for Nivea as a place to test things and then you take them to your own site after. What, what do you mean by that approach? So we have, so both. So we, we test things uh, D2C. So D2C is a huge learning platform um, at the moment because we have full access to the to the data, obviously. So we have a, mm-hmm. a huge um, CRM database that's linked to it. We also have the ability to A-B test a lot of the content and the journeys and the visuals and, and everything that we can kind of control on site. But Amazon have eyeballs there, right? So they have people who are visiting in mass numbers every day um, and also have a really nice A-B testing suite in the back end. So you can test everything from mm. product titles to bullets to A-plus content. So we use them both ways. So we try and use them uh, you know, fairly interchangeably um, to help kind of drive it depending on what we want to learn and about what, what product. Moving on to your best practice. And this is where we'd like you to tell us about the most exciting project that you've worked on um, and how you got other people's attention. Yeah, so that's a lovely question. I think for, for me, probably the last, I mean, I'm, I'm blessed to have worked on like a lot of um, very cool projects. Obviously we work in, I work in such, for such a big brand, but I think mm-hmm. probably the launch of direct to consumer for us has, has been the most exciting one that I've worked on for, um, for many years. And I think partly because that scratches a, an entrepreneurial itch for me that we were able to kind of start something from, from scratch and kind of create a new retail channel for us. And it was it was a real challenge. So for us to turn a fairly well functioning brand site into a good e-commerce site is something that is um, can, you know cannot be underestimated. And for many of the people listening here who've who've run retail sites, who've run good quality D two C sites, they'll know the the kind of struggles that that go through. So I think that was a real learning curve for me personally. So that's one that I that I really enjoyed. And I think that's also meant getting attention from people internally within the business. So that might be a, you know, please give me your time to come and work on something that is a fraction of the business turnover. And, you know, as you know, it's difficult to get profitable in the first years and all of the things that, um, you know, come with that. So how do you try and get people on board to a project that is, uh, you know, like that, so kind of gaining attention that way. But also how do you get people's attention from outside to the traditional performance marketing and how do we get all of the channels firing and the journeys firing and and an understanding of, you know, your your ROAS and all your mm. CAC measures and all of the kind of good stuff that, that gets the D2C, D2C site firing. So, um, yeah, it's been a super interesting journey over the last uh, over the last couple of years and one that I've definitely learned a huge amount from. I mean, you, you say Nivea's, you know, quite risk averse, but I guess this this is an element of risk starting something like this. Like you said, you're trying to, uh, you know, get the attention of people internally. 
um like that that is a big challenge in itself so i guess this is what a a risk for a large company like nivea might look like yeah it is exactly and and i think that's i think that's probably partly born out of covid i think that was probably a huge reason for um well it was a huge reason for why we did it in the first place i think because we were looking for other ways to to gain access to to that data as well because i think it, you know if you think of Nivea as a brand or traditional FMCG businesses, they are very much controlled by the retailers. So you have a mm-hmm. retailer in the middle who has all the access to the data. You don't really have a relationship with the end consumer. It's all with that kind of middle party. So if, if you're not getting access to that data or you don't have lights of Amazon to go and test, it's really tricky to mm-hmm. try and to try and optimize that that full funnel, um, which obviously is a you know, leaves performance marketers pulling their hair out a little bit because you can only optimize clicks or something to to that, and then it kind of disappears behind a wall garden. So, yeah, that's that's definitely a huge kind of driver for it, and and obviously then trying to figure out how do we differentiate ourselves from a Tesco or a Boots or or somebody um, somebody like that and get people to come and purchase from us was the mm. the other one um, that was fascinating. So, um, yeah, it's de- I mean, it's definitely much more on the riskier scale versus things we've done in the past but um the kind of data that we get back for it and the way that we're able to optimize media using it is um is fascinating mm, mm, definitely w- worth the risk for sure definitely. definitely worth the risk yeah i'm a bit biased but i definitely say it's worth the risk <laughs> of course of course well just before we wrap up we have come to the most feared section of the podcast I would say from all of my guests they get to this this point and they say oh god you know I've been looking didn't mind the questions but I've been dreading this all week (laughs) the 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 get the infamous get my uh getting my attention which is the resell me a pen challenge how are you how are you feeling today um, I'd lie if I say I wasn't nervous about it, but <laughs> let's see. I mean, I'm I'm used to hiding behind sales tactics that are digital, let alone uh, <laughs> rather than trying to sell you something outright. But we'll we'll give it a go. Okie dokie. So we have challenged you to resell this object to uh, which is outdated, no longer used, and to resell it to a modern audience, ideally with a performance marketing strategy, if we could get one in there. <laughs> Um, and we have chosen a DVD, which I don't, I mean, do you still have DVDs? We have a DVD, but not a DVD player anymore. So. I, that's, I was just about to say, I've, def- I've got a lot of DVDs, but I've got nowhere to play them at the moment. Mm, I know. Yeah. Not to let that sway though, because obviously everyone's going to buy one in a minute. So yeah, oh yeah. So don't, <laughs> you're setting yourself up for failure otherwise. <laughs> when you are ready, Adam, resell me the DVD. So... I'd like to start by asking you a question, Lucy. Um, have you ever had a film that you absolutely loved, but you couldn't find it streaming anywhere? Um, I mean, that's annoying, right? Well, what if I told you that I had a perfect solution for you and it was in the form of a DVD? Now, I know what you're thinking. I mean, Adam, it's not 2003. I know, you know there's a reason that Blockbuster went and died. Um, however, between you and me, let me tell you that there's something really, really special about having a physical copy of of a DVD. I mean, it's like owning a book, right? You know, you've got something that you can hold in your hands, you can lend it to a friend. Uh, you can obviously rewatch it as many times as you want without your internet connection dying. Um, and the best part is you can own it for life. So, you know, you don't have to worry about losing your favorite movie to licensing agreements with subscription changes. You know, it's your DVD, Lucy, you can keep it forever. 
Um, but wait, I think it gets better. The specific DVD I've got for you comes with bonus features. It comes with streaming. Uh, and you won't find it on any streaming oh, service. I'm, gonna oh, I'm have out of to time, go. aren't I? No. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get to my performance marketing bit. I was oh, all no. on the. Uh, all that was a hype. really good start, though. Yeah, strong start. Just mm. ran a massive run Well, I won't, I'm going to just to, you know, not get the rest of the uh, the other guests angry. I won't count the next bit, but shall we hear your performance marketing strategy? Well, to be honest, it was more in the, uh, it wasn't even in performance tactics. It was more on uh, just a hard pressure sell towards the end of all of the reviews <laughs> and satisfy customers and everyone that, that comes with it. So, yeah, well, I mean, it, yeah, it was, wasn't... I would, Hopefully I, that won't annoy anybody else who's uh, <laughs> run out of time before. No, no, I'm sure not. Well, I think that was a pretty polished pitch there. I, I, I was quite impressed. Um, comparing the DVD to a to a book is a. Is a I'm, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I was hard pressed to find something, but yeah. yeah, it's like oh yeah. I mean, like the smell of a DVD, like the smell of an old book. I mean, exactly. There you go. You're in it. Do you know what? I, I was impressed with the pitch and I think you have resold me the DVD because I am, you know, as much as I write about all these, uh, you know, streaming channels that are going on at the moment, I do find it quite annoying about having to have all of them, otherwise, you know, without having to not be able to watch a film. Um, and so maybe maybe DVDs are the way to go just to kind of like cut back saying, no, I'm there not getting another the old school. As I yeah. said, old channels are coming back. Maybe old technology is, uh, is also coming back. Yeah, yeah. We're going to just get paper boys back again, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, congratulations. You have resold me the DVD. But have you have you got a outdated item that you can challenge our next guest to resell? So I've got a... One is one of my favourite all-time uh, bits of technology, and it was when I was clearing out my loft the other day. I found I found it um, alongside a lot of the cartridges that go in it, um, and yeah, I fell in love with it for many years. And that's a mini disc player, ah. um, of which it was, you know, I kind of spoke to a lot of my weird old music taste when I found out all of the different mini discs that I had on there, but. Um, yeah, it was one of my favourite technologies for a long time and is now hopelessly outdated. So I'm hopeful your next guest will be able to rekindle the joy for me and for many, many other people. Oh, that's exciting. Well, you, you might even have a chance to meet the next guest because uh, we are doing a podcast at our event this week. Um, so, yes, yeah, you can hear it live, the, the, the <laughs> trauma that is the Resell Me A Pen Challenge. <laughs> Well, Adam, thank you so much for being this week's guest on Attention Seekers. I hope we have satisfied your attention-seeking desires. Thanks, Lucy. Really appreciated it. No worries, not at all. If you want to find out more about the news from the performance marketing industry, look out for our news shorts where we get a behind-the-scenes look at the news of the week in less than 10 minutes. And subscribe to our site, performancemarketingworld.com. Thank you all for listening and for giving us your attention. It would mean so much if you could leave a review, like, or follow the podcast. Then you can be the first to know when our next Attention Seeker is out. I hope you'll join me next time with our next Attention Seeking guest. <laughs>